I can't hear you. How many's ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. How many's ready for a move of the Holy Spirit? Amen. We're believing that with everything that is within us here on this uh, great June morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to two different passages of Scripture, and I'll give them that. We're going to do also our declaration before we get into that, but I'll, I'll just let you know where they're at so you can begin to turn there. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Luke 24, 49. And Genesis 15, verse 17, 18. Genesis 15, 17, and 18. But we're going to do our declaration. If they can put the declaration up on the board for us here today, we're going to do that. If you'd stand with us. Are you ready to do our declaration? Here we go. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those that are in need. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give the Lord praise for the declaration today. And while you're standing, we'll read the word of the Lord. Luke 24, starting with verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Genesis chapter 15, starting with verse 17 and verse 18. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The key word in that passage of Scripture, unto thy seed have I given this ground. We're going to make a little bit of uh, sense about, out of that Scripture here in a little bit. I'm going to pray. Brother Chuck Richardson, would you ask the Lord's anointing on the word, please? Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now this morning I want to get into the message that, uh, and I want to pick up where we actually left off last Sunday. Uh, if you will notice, I have chosen two scriptures out of the book of Genesis chapter 15 that we actually preached on a little bit last Sunday morning. I would have read the, more out of Genesis chapter 15, but to keep the text from being so long, I'll just try to paraphrase the rest of that chapter so that we can understand what has actually taken place. But in Genesis chapter 15 is where Abram and Sarah is having very much difficulty believing God, promising them mainly two things. 
God had mainly promised them only two things and they were just having difficulty actually believing that he would come through. His pro- he promises them a child in the form of a son and he promises them an inheritance in the form of land. Those were the two promises that Abraham had prom- uh, God had promised Abram. His promises we are seen here are twofold. One involves the internal, which is Sarah conceiving in her womb. It's an internal work of the Holy Spirit. It's an internal work in the life of that woman by God. And there, one involves the external, which is the possession of a piece of land. So let us notice something. One involves a birthing process, and the other one involves a possessing process. There is a difference in us birthing something and us possessing something. Do you understand? You and I have eternal pro- internal promises that can only come by the way of birth. It's where God literally takes his desire and places it within our lives and it becomes our desire. And then it's birth. That's what we call birthing out the things of the kingdom of God. That God's will on earth will be, uh, will be uh, God's will in heaven will be done on earth. But then there's times that we have to just go out and possess the things that God has freely given us. There are people all of the time that are going out praying over things that they don't need to be praying over because they already got the authority to claim them in Jesus' name. It is a possessing process where you take control and complete authority in the name of Jesus and you walk in and you grab that which God has already proclaimed for you. Can I have an amen? But then there are other times that people are literally trying to proclaim things and possess things that can only come by the way of birth. And therefore, they'll never receive the things that uh, that they need is because they got it mixed up in their minds. But there's a difference in birthing something and going out and possessing something. The internal promises of God involve spiritual transformation in our lives. A transformation is when there is a spontaneous change of one element into another by creative design by God. It is a special exercise to where the total DNA of a person is changed by the alteration of the Spirit's work. It's when God comes down and does a complete change in your life by the power and the anointing of his Holy Spirit. The external promises of God is where what has been done in you begins to flow through you. Can I have an amen? The external promises of God are given, they're they're possessed, they're taken, they're obtained, they're pursued, and they are claimed by the believer. But the internal promises of God, they're asked for, they're sought for, for, they're prayed for, they're hungered for, they're desired, they're believed for, they're sought after. Can I have an amen? Let's say that again. The external promises of God, they're gone after, they're pursued, they're taken, they're laid claim of, but the internal promises of God are asked for, they're sought for, they're prayed for, they're hungered for. The only way you're going to get it is if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's why that the book of Matthew chapter 5 tells us Verse 6, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's why that the scripture tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. If I was to entitle this message this morning, I would entitle it, What Has Happened to the Upper Room? I ask that question in this 21st century modern day church, what has happened to the experience of the upper room. It is is in the upper room that consensus is made. It is a place
place where an, where an agreement between us and God transpires. It is the in the upper room that consecration is actually established. It is where we offer ourselves unto God and we consecrate our bodies as living sacrifices. It is in the upper room that the internal promises of God are conceived and eventually birthed. There are things in your life that God wants to do that you are not even aware of until you come in contact with his presence. There are things that God wants to achieve on our earth through the body of Christ. There's things that God wants to do through the believer. There's things that God wants to do in your family that will blow your mind away. But a lot of times we are clueless because we've never got into that place of his presence, that place of tarrying, that place of the upper room to where God begins to open up our lives and transforms us and God begins to allow his desires to be imparted in our heart. How many knows what Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says? But the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That we can't even love God the way we need to love God without God giving us his love in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? Everything that God requires out of us is not obtainable and achievable within man's power alone. The very things that God has commanded us to do can, we cannot even do it without the enablement and the help and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God. Everything around here has to be spirit-driven, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, or we're wasting our time. Can I have an amen? If you believe that, give the Lord praise. The Bible says in Psalms 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of his heart. Didn't give you your desire, he'll give you his desire. As we delight him, our desires fade out. Our agendas begin to die out. And all of a sudden, God begins to implant and impart through transformation his very desire. That happens as we get into the place of an upper room experience. The problem that we have in the modern day church is everyone's interested in the external promises of God, but they're not interested at all in the internal promises of God. People want the blessings of God, but they do not want the transformation of God that has to occur first. They want to possess land. They want to obtain promises. They want to get wealth. They want to be protected. They want their children to be protected. They want, uh, 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 they want the seal of the Spirit over their lives. They want to receive healing. They want to receive gifts. They want to obtain eternal inheritance called salvation. But they want to do it by avoiding the upper room experience. They want to possess the land. They want the milk and honey. But they don't want to have to birth any kind of, of, of promise that God is placed within their heart. We have a whole generation that wants to bypass the upper room. They want the blessing without ever carrying a burden. They want a promise without ever having to go through any kind of pain. They want to, the, the wealth of God's blessings without having to work or to have to persevere. When you look at the life of Moses, you see that Moses had something mixed up. Moses had a fight in him to do what God wanted him to do. How many knows that God wanted Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt? Everybody know that? That's why his destiny was. He was drawn out for that very purpose. But if you remember at the very beginning, here is Moses, and he sees what an Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow Israelites. And when he sees him, what does he do? 
He goes and he commits murder and he destroys that uh, Egyptian and he hides him in the ground and buries him and he flees for his life. Was that the will of God? I want to tell you, God did not send Moses to be a murderer. God raised Moses up to be a deliverer. Amen? The problem of it is the fight that he had in him was misdirected. This, in a symbolic way, was Moses trying to possess a promise without having the transformation. How do I know that? Because it isn't until Moses is led on the backside of a desert, taking care of his father-in-law, Sheep Jethro, several years later that he comes in contact with a burning bush and he's drawn to it. And all of a sudden the bush is burning, but it wasn't consumed and he didn't understand why. And all of a sudden out of the bush came the words, Moses, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And it was there that a fire touched the heart of Moses. And Moses was transformed by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it was there he received his call to go lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And it was because of the fiery experience of the burning bush that Moses became the leader that he was. And yet we sometimes do the same thing that Moses does. We try to possess the external promises of God without having, ever having an experience of an internal work of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? It was Jesus in our text in Luke 24, 49, when he said to his disciples, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Jesus had left his disciples with a command Tarry ye into the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. As a matter of fact, in John 20, verse 21 and 22, he tells his disciples, as on his way of leaving, he says, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. But before you go, he had this to say. He breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus showed himself alive after his passion with many infallible proofs according to Acts chapter 1, he was seen of them for 40 days and 40 nights and he spoke to them th the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 that his mind had not changed about him wanting the disciples to wait and to tarry in Jerusalem until he had been endued with power from on high because he said, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which saith, ye have heard of me. But for he said, but for John truly baptizes with water but ye shall be baptized baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. Notice that Jesus left his disciples with a command. It was not a suggestion, but it was a direct command from Jesus himself. In verse 4 it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1 verse 2, it tells us that before Jesus was taken out of their side and went to heaven later on in that verse, that the things that he told them were in the form of commandments. Listen to what it says in verse 2 of Acts 1. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Everything Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1 was a command. It was not a Suggestion. It was not, well, if you want to. Jesus was commanding them, and the commandment for them was to tarry in Jerusalem. 
He told them, you go to Jerusalem and you tarry there until you be endued, which means to be clothed upon by the Holy Spirit. He said, you don't leave there until you come in contact with the presence of God. You don't leave there until you have what we call a Pentecostal encounter with the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? It's getting quiet in here. Jesus knew that they would need the upper room empowerment to fulfill the commission that he gave them because he said, even as I have been sent by the Father, even so I send you. But you can't go unless you go in the power of the Spirit as I have went in. Look at the condition of the early church prior to Pentecost. Prior to the upper room experience, we see these young, small group of Jesus' disciples who had followed him for about three years. And we see them standing, watching, gazing, as he went up into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And he was received out of their sight. This is when Jesus was returning back to the right hand of the Father to be the intercessor for us all, to be our high priest. And ringing in their ears as Jesus went away was the words, don't leave Jerusalem. You stay there until you're in due with power from on high. Now think about the environment. Think about the atmosphere and think about the position that this put these disciples in. Here they are all alone in a very hostile world a world that's out to destroy anyone who allied themselves with this man called Jesus. And here is this Jesus who was supposed to be their savior, who gave them all kinds of promises. He was to be their king who would come, they thought, and destroy the Roman rule and, and the Roman rule over them and free them from their adversaries. But in their eyes, here comes Jesus. He stirs up a crowd. He gives them some promises. He causes an uprising. He creates a hostile environment, and then he leaves them. That's how they felt. They thought, my goodness, we thought he would come and be the prince and savior on a stallion that would take away the Roman rule and would rip us away from our infirmities, but instead he comes and stirs up crowds, and he gets people mad, and he gets people angry. They're out now trying to kill us. They're out to try to stone us. They're out to try to imprison us, and now he leaves us when we need him the most. That's what they thought. Now, here's this young disciples, and their allegiance that they made to Jesus has caused them to be targeted and there's a great hostility now risen against them and they're all alone. Here they are. What are they to do? The church world in which they had grown up in had now become the bounty hunter's place that had a price placed upon their heads. And we can only speculate of the things that went through their mind as this group of people began to make their way to the, uh, the upper room to tarry and not even knowing what they were tarrying for. We see that on the very first day of the week after Jesus' resurrection, the Bible says in John 20 and 19 that they were gathered behind locked doors because of the fear of the Jews. There's great fear upon them. There'd be fear upon us if we knew people were trying to take our lives because we were followers of Jesus. And don't think for a minute, folks, this isn't coming on America. And don't think for a minute it isn't what's taking place even in parts of our world right now even as I speak. Amen? Folks, the liberal movement hates the movement called the body of Christ in the United States now. Can you believe what we're watching with our very eyes in these last days and yet people are not seeing what's taking place? This liberal movement hates that we are making a dent and things are swinging to abolish abortion. If things continue the way that they're headed, folks, it's a great possibility that this thing called Road versus Wade is going to be completely turned around and abortion will be abolished. Amen. Get, stand and give God praise for that. Give God praise for that. It's a miracle. 
Hallelujah, Lord. I know of two or three different prophecies that literally declared two of them prophesied before the Lord would come back in the rapture of the church that abortion would be abolished in America and that seemed almost impossible. There's also another prophecy said that before that Donald Trump would go out of office that abortion would be abolished. Whether or not them would come to pass, we will wait and see, but I'm here to tell you, things are moving in that direction. The, 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 did you know that the liberal liberals hate that, that we are praying and we're seeing the Supreme Court being replaced with conservative judges? Amen. Give the Lord praise. That's a miracle. And now they're wanting to stiff arm it, and now they're wanting to be able, when they if they get into office, to put more on, uh, on the Supreme Court than just the ones that we have. They hate that there's a faith movement going on in our country, and for the first time, Christians are beginning to rise up and they're beginning to see results and they're afraid. Are you listening to me? But I'm here to tell you the world is getting hostile toward us as Christians in America. I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. The heat is on. It is a showdown between Baal and God. Amen. And we are the Elijahs that stuck right smack dab in the middle. I'm here to tell you that the world is getting, there's a spirit of hostility rising up against the church of Jesus Christ. There is a war going on, and if we do not have a move of God and have revival in this country soon, you will see that the Christians of America will be brought before the Bible, what the Bible calls kings and governors and courts and judges to be persecuted for his name's sake. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 18, did he not? And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for testimony against them. Amen. As a matter of fact, we're already seeing it in America. Open your eyes. Jack Phillips refused to bake a cake and participate in a same-sex marriage. And a Colorado attorney general went after him with a vengeance, like there ain't nothing else for him to go after. He went after a baker because he would not participate. He'd make the cake, but he wouldn't participate in the marriage, and he went after him with a vengeance. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, folks, and guess what? Jack won. Give the, let the Lord praise. But it ain't stopped there. Later on, right after he got out of his court battle, the Attorney General of Colorado actually uh, went after him again for not making a cake for transgender celebration. And they wanted to pull him in and make him celebrate a celebration of a man, a woman being turned into a man. And he wouldn't do it. Thank God for Jack. And after much legal fees and fighting back and month after month of being persecuted, finally the attorney general seen that he couldn't win and he, lost, and he dropped the case. And now as I stand here this week, a third wave of persecution is presently coming against him because the Attorney General of Colorado has rose up again and started fighting against him. While all along the Attorney General is doing nothing about the legalizing of marijuana which is against federal law. There's more to fight than an innocent baker who's not baking a cake for somebody because of his religious beliefs. Can I have an amen? Then there was the Christian florist who refused to work at a gay wedding. And guess what? She was lost everything that she's had, her house, her home, her business in Oregon because 
of the government coming after her. Folks, you can only fight the government so long you run out of money. And that's what the eternal general is trying to do to Jack. He knows he can't win in court, but you know what? He's got the government money to fight him with. Jack's going to soon run out of money. And they're fighting us and they're opposing us. There are all kinds. Right now, this is the one that infuriates me the most. There are all kinds of cases across America where parents are fighting to stop their children from being brainwashed in the transgender and homosexual way at school, at public school. And in some cases in Canada and in America, when the parents filed lawsuits against the school, the prosecutors investigated it and come and come against the parents saying that they were literally neglecting their children and it was and that they were going to be brought up on charges of child abuse because they were not teaching and giving instruction in the definition of gender and sexual orientation to their children and their children would be mixed up therefore they're bringing them up on charges of child abuse this is in the good old USA of America and you say, well, we live in a rural area. It'll never happen here. Whatever comes around, honey, will come or go. Whatever goes around will come around. And you better know it starts in the liberal areas first. But I'm here to tell you, America is at war. And we as a church better rise up under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit and get a touch of fire in our lives and stand like we've never stood and let the Holy Spirit fight our battles. Hallelujah. I have a passion for this today. In California, a Christian school was raided by 16 highway patrolmen who burst through the doors with guns and police dogs. An army of social workers and law enforcement span over across that school while little children, students, were terrified, weeping and crying and not knowing what's going on. What was the public looking for? What was the police looking for? Apparently, they finally got around to following up on a 10-year-old tip from a left-wing tabloid that claimed that the boarding school was sitting on stockpiles of guns and drugs. But instead of knocking on the door and investigating, they broke down the door, stored the campus with their guns and their dogs. And what's so alarming is they actually got a warrant that was based upon something totally incredible and not even found it. In California, they actually found a judge who was willing to grant them a warrant on a 10-year-old rumor written, on a, written by a liberal tabloid, and, so they, and they got the warrant so that they could go and traumatize children. And what is worse, even after the search turned up absolutely nothing, California officials did not apologize. Instead, they doubled down. They said, we're requiring you now from this day forward, not to be licensed with the Department of Education as a boarding school like you have in the last 20 years, but you're going to have to be licensed with the Department of Social Services, DSS, even though they were not at all providing any counseling to these children at all. It was only educational. A note that is so important here is that this school received absolutely nothing from the government. They will have received no grants, no taxpayers' money, they are totally 100% privately funded by a Christian organization. And by them putting them under the Department of Social Services in California by law, now they can force them to go along with their radical mandates on things like sexual orientation and gender. This is not about academic success. 
It's not about child safety. It's about controlling children. Then they said, if you're going to, they said, we're going to find you every single day until you're licensed with the DSS. That's going to break them. This is the kind of hostility, folks, that is beginning to happen right here in the United States of America. And this was what these early disciples were facing and yet much more on a greater scale. As a matter of fact, their lives were at stake just for believing, being a believer and following Jesus. Here they were, lost, afraid, not knowing what to do, and yet the total existence of the church rested upon the shoulders of these disciples. You're here today, and I'm here today as a result of these men's obedience. Everything about the church's future hinged around their obedience to Jesus' command to go to that upper room. Look at Genesis 15 with me just for a moment. Abraham and Sarah are not able to believe in God's promises. And even after God makes a covenant with them, they're still having a problem, and they're, and they're bound by fear. They're, there's worry. There's disbelief. There's doubt. Sarah even in another place laughs at what God said and just thinking, huh, me being old, going to have a child. And Abraham sacrifices like God tells him and cuts the pieces of the sacrifices up, lays them on the altar, altar. And then it was there at a dark hour that we preached last week where God comes down in a form of a burning lamp and a smoking furnace and he touches these pieces. And in the next verse says, is that day that Abraham was able to believe more or less, God made a covenant and Abraham's seed would receive an inheritance. What was the change in Abraham's attitude? It wasn't until he seen the fire of God upon those pieces. And that was God saying significantly, those things that have been set apart from me, I'm putting my fire and my approval upon it, and they've been accepted in divine favor. He knew about divine favor. And can I tell you, until we come into an upper room and we rid ourselves, sacrifice those beggarly elements that we talked about last week, lay them in the altar and have the fire of the Holy Spirit touch them, we'll never be able to follow through and stand in this last day turmoil that's coming upon our land. Amen? If you think the heat is hot now, honey, you ain't even got into the kitchen yet. Amen? It wasn't until they were touched by fire that they were able to claim the land which was the external promises of God. The things that we desire to see, our children bless, our children favor. We want to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. We want to see people saved. We want to be saved. We want to receive the benefits of God, the blessings of God, the overshadowing of God, the protection of God. Folks, them are the promises of God, but them promises are external, and they are to be possessed, but they cannot be possessed until we have a burning bush moment, a burning upper room experience, a burning sacrifice that's been touched by the fire of God. Oh, hallelujah. The first had to go, they first, these disciples had to go to that upper room and they had to wait and they had to tarry. Did you know the external promises of God cannot be manifested till the internal promises of God begin to take place in a person's life? The things of the spirit has to be birthed before the inheritance can be claimed. Why? Because the inheritance was to Isaac and Isaac had to be birthed before the inheritance could be claimed because Isaac was the seed of promise. He was the seed of the Spirit. And you and I have to birth the seed of God's Spirit in the service before 
the inheritance that lays out there can be claimed. I got a lot more to preach about. I feel just a touch to stop. Would you stand with me? You can't believe this. I'm getting done 15 minutes early. Oh, listen to me real fast. When Jesus had left his disciples and he challenged them, he told them, he gave them a command, you stay here. You go to Jerusalem, you stay there until you be endued with power from heart. There were 500 of them present. When you go to the upper room and you count them, there were only 120. That means that 380 people did not obey Jesus Christ to meet the requirements for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that three-fourths of the church disobeyed God that day and only one-fourth of them obeyed. Only one-fourth of the church actually obeyed. And I thought, God, is that the way it is in America today? Only one-fourth of us? Why is it? You might want to sit down for a minute. I changed my mind. I got to write. It's my sermon. Aren't you glad I let you sit down? Why is it that the 21st century modern day church does not look at Pentecost as a privilege, but as what? A bondage, a restriction, a demand. Hello? Why is it? that the 21st century modern church is appalled to the upper room experiences? Why is it that young people no longer are attracted to the moves of the Holy Ghost? My style preaching, folks, I don't know if you know it or not, but is on a way out. All I got to say is when it comes back in, come around, I'll still be doing the same old thing. We're living in a decade when people want to I'm not criticizing people who sit in the back, please. But a lot of people just want to come and sit in the back. Don't be involved. Show up. Put in your due. Go through your systems. Go through your mechanics. Come on. Come late. Leave early. Never participate. Never get involved. But this thing called the Pentecostal movement, it's not relevant to our generation. And because there is no relevant thought about that being relevant and needed, they're bypassing it, and then they're wondering why in the world they're not receiving the external promises of God. Am I preaching all right? It's true. I'm here to tell you that if we're going to be able to stand, especially what's coming up on the earth, we better have revival, and we better have it fast, and we got a short window to do it in, and the only thing that's going to bring revival is not our good ingenuity and our mechanics and our talent and our ability and our strength and our charisma and all the different things that we can do in our media and our presentation and our good, smooth, swelling words. I want to tell you, Paul said, I don't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I come to you in the demonstration and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need the demonstration of the Holy Ghost around here. Only one-fourth of the church actually obeyed him. 120 of them. 380 disobeyed. And the 120 went up in the upper room, and guess what they done? They tarried there for 10 solid days. 
couldn't leave that room. If I was to ask you this morning, say, for the month of July, I don't know how many Sundays is in July, I think just four, not five. But for the next four Sundays in July, I'm going to ask you that when I get done preaching, that everybody come to the altar and seek the Lord for one hour for the fire of God. How many participants would I have? How many would see the need? How many would see that, that there is a necessity for us to seek the face of God? For us to get in the upper room and tarry one with another? If I said that, we're going to do that four hours out of a month. How many of us could do that? It would be so hard for some of us. Would 70% do it? Would 40%? Would 30%? Would some start and not finish? How, how, what, kind of, what kind of percentage would I get? By statistics, they say that I'd get less than 20%. By statistics. By statistics, only about 13% now are showing up to prayer meetings when a pastor calls for a special prayer service. 13% of the body of Christ. What much different in the day of Jesus. But these men and women, 120 of them, said, we got to obey him. They went to the upper room and they tarried there. They prayed, they sought, they hungered for the Lord, not knowing what they would expect. Acts chapter 2 says, And on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, they were all gathered in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them clothing tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all, all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Now these are the same people who were locked behind closed doors because of the fear of the Jews. These were the ones that were scared for their lives. There was a coward by the name of Peter. You could call him a coward because he was the one that was definitely afraid and it showed him there, locked behind them doors, scared to death because he thought his head was going to be chopped off. He's the one that was uh, uh, actually took an, uh, uh, swore that he didn't even know Jesus, warmed himself by the campfire. He denied Jesus and a cold rooster preaches a sermon and convicts him. Can I have an amen? But Peter was there on the day of Pentecost. And after that experience, what took place? They went out into the streets. And all of a sudden, people were amazed. Said, the wonderful works of God. There was a seal of the Holy Spirit on these people. They heard everyone speak in their own language. And everybody was amazed. And others mocked and said, these men are drunk. And Peter stood up. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about. That in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And upon my handmaidens and upon my servants, I will pour my spirit out, saith the Lord of hosts. And then all of a sudden, they got old Peter mad. The very crowd that he was running from and hiding from because he was afraid of, they triggered old Peter and Peter stood up and he, he said you wicked men you have took Jesus and you went out and you've crucified him and he preached a message on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and how that Jesus was risen from the dead it pricked their hearts and 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church that day because of what the upper room experience Peter would have never done that without that encounter we need the Holy Spirit experience. It's not outdated. It's not irrelevant. It's a necessity. It's a command. 
It's a charge of Jesus. And we're fixing to take this city by storm. And we've got an evangelism thing that we're working on in our minds. And let me tell you, we can't go out there and receive the external promises of God, our city, until we have an internal birthing take place to where the purpose of God, the plan of God, the mind of God, the will of God comes into our lives and we begin to get wrapped around that and emboldened in that and believe in that and we receive a covenant with God and we come out of that upper room with a fiery zeal to obey the Spirit of God knowing He who has promised will be faithful. Would you stand now? Hallelujah. I'm done. Praise God, I think. We have a lot nowadays. We have our air conditioner. We have our padded pews. We don't have to hide in caves. We don't have to light a candle and, and try to read scriptures that we've received from somebody else. But now we have a lighting that we can even take our whole Bible that we have, and we have the whole Bible that we can read. These early disciples, you don't understand what they went through. Had to go over on hillsides and be quiet. They had to find a place where multitudes could hear. But now we got we got the sound systems and we got internet and we got TV and we got all these things and we can spread the gospel just like that. We got the fancy cathedrals that we come in and worship. We got all the musical instruments and yet not even a fraction of what was saved on the day of Pentecost is being saved today. Why? Because we're void of the fire. And we're trying to receive the ex hello external promises of God without having an internal promise of God birthed. And I'm asking you this morning, as a body, as a believer, it's Sunday morning, I know. We usually do this stuff on Sunday night, don't we, when we got more time. What is our priority here today? Why did we gather here today? Why are we here? To please ourselves, to go through our routines? Or are we saying, God, you're the priority from this day forward in my life. I want the fire of the Holy Ghost. I gotta have, again, God, you to come down and begin to reveal to me in these last days. I wanna tell you, just cause you've been to the upper room once don't mean that you don't have to go again. Cause them same disciples in Acts chapter two were refilled before Acts was over. There is continual renewals and refreshings from the presence of God and from the fire of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to come and seek for the fire of the Holy Spirit today. That's all I'm asking you to do. Say, God, I want the fire. I, I, wanna, I want the internal promises of God to burn in my heart. That when I rise up without fear, without apology, without any kind of intimidation, I'll go out and I'll proclaim the name of Jesus in the face of my adversaries. I will not be like Moses and bring death, but I will be like Moses after the burning bush and I'll bring deliverance. Hallelujah. Oh, God, give us fire. Oh, thank you, saints, for obeying the Lord here this morning. God's going to reward us if we'll obey him. God, give us fire. Give us fire of the Holy Spirit. Minister to the very heart and life of every soul that's coming and hungry and thirsting after righteousness today. Help them to focus upon what's taking place. Help their minds to be clear, their hearts to be pure. Begin to sanctify the processes they tarry, God, here today. As they come and they wait and they tarry and they pray and they seek, Begin to minister to them. Begin to minister to them. So just pray your own way. Stand, kneel, walk, sit, whatever you want to do. Just pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit. Rain on upon us with fire, God. God, I'm all shut down. 
Oh, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this body. Pray, God, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to begin to reign in us. Father, look at our lives and see us where we're at. See our apathy. See our sluggishness. See, God, God, them areas in our life that need to be, God, come to the place of an agreement with you where they cut away where we take that peace that you're showing us. Lay it on the altar so once again your fire can touch it and consecrate it for the glory of God. Help our bodies to be a living sacrifice. Everything that stands in our way whether it be our fear, whether it be our actions, whether it be our behavior, whether it be our sin, whether whatever it is, our attitude, Lord, whatever needs changed, begin the transformation process that happens, God, in that upper room where concessions is made. Help us, God, in this arena tonight, today, Father, to see the fire of the Holy Spirit come upon our lives. Oh, refill us with the Holy Spirit, God. God, there's a war going on in the heavenlies right now over this congregation. Lord, there is a fight. There's a struggle because the opposition, the opposition is coming against us. The opposition's coming against us. Minister right now, God. Minister right now, God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes. Come on, church, worshiping. something to me this week and the Lord said when my people begin to seek my face there's going to be a storm come and I got a clip if he can throw it up on the this happened in our town just last week see the storm cloud there look at look at the face of the skull it was like a spiritual war the Lord showed me now I'm not saying that's what this was but this is what the Lord said this is what's going to come against against us 
You can see that face there, and it looks demonic. It's got horns. It is a very demonic thing when you blow it up. And that wind, I was in that storm, and I thought the car was literally going to be turned over, and it was just a little bitty thing. wasn't very wide, didn't last very long. But as I was sitting there, I felt an evil presence, and I thought, Lord, there's something angry in this thing. This storm's an angry storm. And then I didn't even know this existed. And I thought, this was, this is, God was giving me a spiritual symbolic. How many believes that God reveals things through the sky and through the stars? He still does that, doesn't he not? Amen. How do I know that? Because the next picture, as soon as the storm was over, show the next picture of what took place. God gave a double covenant, a double rainbow. Rainbow's a sign of covenant from God. And God told me, he said, kid, it doesn't matter what comes against you. If you've been in that upper room, don't worry about it because you're going to be sealed by covenant. The covenant will keep you and sustain you in all of what takes place. But you got to have the fire. you got to be established in the covenant. Rainbow's a covenant from God saying, I'll never destroy the earth again with water. Amen. And he gave us a double rainbow saying that storm may have been furious. It may have been mean. It blew out signs. It blew over trees. People's houses were tore up. Cars were damaged. Tail was everywhere. And yet on the flip side of the coin, God comes along and says, with all of that, don't worry about the damage. You're not, you were protected. I've got a covenant over you. i got a seal. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. I feel a heaviness of the Holy Spirit here today. I just want you to give him praise for the next 30 seconds. Would you do that? Just give him praise. Say, I'm committed, Lord. Yes, Lord. Folks, God is stirring in this. we done is scratch the service because we just stayed here for what five minutes on a Sunday morning we got to tarry until he comes every time we come into this place we got to have a set up mind We're, the palace of praise has set its face like a flint as a deer set its face like the, to run after a water brook even so Lord I set my face like a flint to pursue you and I'm going to pursue, and I'm going to keep knocking, and I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to keep getting under covenant until God does a transforming work in my life, and I know it. And when he does, then I'm going to take this city by storm because the external promises of God are for mine, for the taking. I possess them. I claim them. I take hold of them. I go and say, pursue them. They're mine. And no devil's going to stop me from it. But i got to have that inner work on the inside. i got to have the inheritance of the saint being the inheritance is what to the believer? The spirit. Amen. As Isaac was a symbol of the inheritance to Abraham, the Holy Spirit is a symbol to us of the inheritance. That when we have the spirit of adoption, when we have the spirit of the Holy Ghost in us, that is what? The inheritance of the saints. Amen. Go in peace. And Jesus, come out tonight. I believe we're going to have a blowout tonight. 
Right, we're just going to follow up right on this. How's that sound? God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Give the Lord praise.